Welcome to the Janine Boland Show, where we share tips from around the globe as we guide practical people with their finances using money tips, increase their incomes through side businesses, and maintain their sanity by staying in their creative zone. Hello, Janine Bolin here, and welcome to today's show that is loaded with quality content on mysticism, transformation, and business savvy. The Janine Bolin Show is the syndicated program of four podcast shows that were combined in October of 2021. Up to that point, my team and I, we were running four separate podcasts, and we called them the Three Minute Money Tips, the Thriving Solopreneur, the Writer's Hour Creative Conversations, and the Practical Mystic Show. But today, we are highlighting an incredible mystic that encapsulates all of these shows into one person. I am interviewing one of the 99 authors this year to receive their guidance and perspective on how you can get your message, your story, or your memoir out into the world. Now, our upcoming guest is not only a mystic, but he's also an author, teacher, and successful founder and CEO of a multi-million dollar consumer products company. In his debut book, The Synchronicity of Love, he shares his extraordinary stories of the radical transformation he underwent when he began to follow the path of unconditional love. Now, I know that sounds hokey, but this guy did it with sincerity and earnestness, and not only do his stories inspire, uplift, and heal people, they will also shock, awaken, and transform you while you're reading them. So, welcome to the show, John David Lada. Great to have you. Thank you so much, Jean. Appreciate the introduction. You betcha. Uh, One of the things you may not know about John is he also teaches some pretty intimate workshops on leadership, healing, transformation, love, synchronicity, wisdom, and awakening. Basically, he just wants you to unite and expand your human experience. So with all that being said, talk to us a little bit about, you know, like me, um, you're a mystic, but we also started off in a very uh, analytical mindset. So I was an analytical biochemist. I'm a scientist. I made drugs for a living for crying out loud. <laughs> I always like to say legal ones, legal ones. <laughs> but for you, you were this incredible businessman. And what was the trigger that started this huge transformation for you? Thanks, Janine. Uh, like a lot of people, pain, suffering, loss. I don't know why that seems to be the trigger for most people, but it was for me. Everything that could have gone wrong in my life all went wrong at the same time. I think I'd lived a relatively charmed life up to that point. And, um, and it took me from that very rational, logical, I think the only philosopher or spiritual, I wouldn't even call it a spiritual teacher that I ever looked up to is Ayn Rand. <laughs> so, and, <clears throat> and everything began to shift after that. Everything. And who, who did you find comfort in then at that point? So some people will run to uh, organized religion, but for mystics, we don't. We have to walk outside of our normal traditions. Mystics are people who seek answers from within. So how did you go about doing that? Well, the door opener for me was, ironically, the author Michael Crichton. And Michael Crichton wrote an autobiography called Travels, and he shared a lot of inner and outer explorations. And I identified highly with Michael Crichton. I read all of his books. I loved his books. He had just, you know, a fantastic intellect. But even he went through a transformative phase in his life and, um, and began to explore the world uh, that he called direct experience. 
he realized most of what he thought to be true, he got from books, he got from other people. And so he decided a lot of things that he highly um, resisted, such as spirituality, such as the mystic's path, he was going to explore it for himself. And it turned out he was incredibly mystical. And so that was a door opener that Michael gave me the permission to explore that side of myself in a way that I would have resisted in the past. That's true. It doesn't matter where the truth comes from. A lot of people have told me of transformations they had while reading Karl Marx and stuff like yeah. that. And it's like, it doesn't matter where the truth is packaged. It doesn't matter what the labeling is on it. Something's going to trigger you. And so thank you for telling me that because as an analytical biochemist, you know, Michael <laughs> Crichton was kind of our hero yes. because he took biochemistry <laughs> that nobody knew what to think of it. I mean, we were operating at the DNA level, the cellular level, and people were like, you know, what are you doing? This was 20 years ago. And and now, of course, it's it's the rage, but it was one of those fun things. And so thank you for, you know, bringing into the forefront one of my own uh, personal heroes as well. <laughs> so so with this, this transformation that you had uh, and as you started the mystics journey, and I would like for you to define what mystic means for you, because I have my definition. My listeners are used to my definition. But what's your definition of a mystic? Uh, my definition of a mystic is I get information primarily through dreams, uh, sometimes through visions, sometimes during meditation, um, that feels like it's of an informative or teaching nature. There's something that's coming through that seems important. And it's not something I was consciously seeking. Um, and so I think some people's experience of it might be, you know, that their guides were speaking to them or angels were speaking to them. Um, I just know I get information and I love it when it comes through. It's beautiful. It adds a whole dimension to life that I didn't know existed. And um, it enthralls me to this day. And so for those who may not know, I will be happy to tell you what my uh, definition of mystic is. And that is a person who practices a form of spirituality that disciplines the mind so that you can achieve oneness with the absolute or God through an altered state of consciousness called bliss or ecstasy. And that's only because I was raised in Japan and I was also exposed to a lot of Hinduism in my life. But for somebody like John coming through, his, his definition of mystic in no way is in conflict with mine. And that's the neat thing about the difference between religion and mysticism is that mysticism, mystics can get along very well together because we know each experience is specifically tailored to us right tailored exactly to each individual right. person right yep. and so there's no conflict because why would i argue with symbols that are coming through in your vision because those visions are for you they're right. not necessarily for me right isn't that delightful it just levels the playing field the way you know, the internet did you know for so many people and mysticism is that answer for me as well so one of the things that is entertaining is that as an author, you are sitting there trying to share with people this amazing experience. And in your case, multiple stories upon stories of your direct experiences. Um, what made you choose to use your name rather than a pen name? Because some mystics hide behind a pen name. That's a great question. And I think at other times in my life, I would have gladly hidden behind that pen name. <laughs> right. <clears throat> uh, part of the whole journey has been not only um, having the mystic dimension open to me, but being um, 
fearless yet intelligent about sharing it with other people. And I, I suspect there are many people with past life memories of um, being mystics and that it was not, um, it was life-threatening to share some of your mystic encounters and mystic experiences. I think those days are coming to an end. So it felt honest to me to use my name. And, uh, and a big part of the journey has been trying to stomach vulnerability. <laughs> well, and, and no offense, especially yeah. as a guy, yep. you know, in, in yep. an American male, uh, vulnerability. Are you kidding? Show yeah. weakness. Oh my yeah. gosh. They'll, they'll tear me to pieces. Yeah. Ah, it's so funny. And I talk to my wife about this all the time, but the, the strength is in the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so I, I totally honor times are different times, you know, 100, 200, 500,000, 2000 years ago. It might have been smart to, you know, run away to a mystery school and not tell anybody that you're in the mystery school and keep the, the teachings and what you're learning to yourself. But I, boy, one look at Facebook today and you see the whole spectrum of human consciousness, human experience. And I think it's really cool. Everybody is sharing now. And so I want to be a part of that. That's why I decided, excuse my French, screw it. I'm just going to use my name. Right? Yeah. Skip this noise. We're just going to make it happen. Yeah. But I do remember sitting there with the page in front of me, and it was time for me to put what name am I going to use on that book cover? And I remember thinking, <laughs> ooh, because, you know, this is back in 2005 for me, and Facebook was not what it was. YouTube wasn't even out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still had a MySpace account. <laughs> So kind of let you know. And nowadays, I love what I see. And I love that mystics like yourself are stepping forward. So thank you for doing that. So we can find you. It's also helpful that your hero, Michael Crichton, uh, you know, he, he kept his name. He didn't go and hide, although it would have been very understandable if he wanted to <laughs> with what was going on. You know, um, one of the chapters in Michael Crichton's book was about him spending two weeks out in the desert with a spiritual teacher by the name of Brew Joy. And it was because of that story that Michael Crichton wrote that I met Brew. Well, Brew was this very eminent um, physician in Southern California and was a part of the Medical Scholastic Society, the top 1% of all medical students in the United States. He just had a brilliant intellect. Um, But he went through a huge change in his mid-30s. And in less than a year, he sold his medical practice, traveled all around the world for nine months and came back and was a spiritual teacher. And so he went through a lot of the same thing. It was just sort of like, wow, I'm starting to have these mystical experiences. Should I stay being a doctor and kind of work undercover or should I just ditch the profession altogether? And so I, I am inspired by a lot of these people sort of coming out of the closet. Yeah. And that's truly what it is. And like you said, on Facebook and social media, more and more are coming out and talking about their experiences and it's all walks of life. It's just, uh, I think more pronounced for those of us who um, are in the academic or scientific professions (laughs) where where it's frowned upon, you don't start mixing those two things together that it's like oil and water. A lot of people believe and what they don't understand, like you said, life is more enriching when you have all of these facets working. So talk to us a little bit about when it came to marketing your book and that kind of thing, did you have a marketing background with your business that you could call upon for this book? I did have a marketing background and I do have a marketing mind. So that has given me a leg up, I guess, when you step into the sort of self-publishing world. But 
I had a consumer products company and all we did was market brands. I never marketed myself. I always would hide behind my brands. We never marketed the company. We never marketed me as the CEO or the owner. We always marketed the brands. And so this is new marketing myself, marketing my book. Um, it's a whole new level of vulnerability. <laughs> and exposure. Isn't it though? <laughs> it really is. And, um, and I, I, I was able to delegate a lot of the marketing. So this is the first time, not only am I promoting myself, which is weird and new, um, but doing it myself where I tended to, so I'm familiar with marketing, but I send it outsources to other companies, employees, PR firm, things like that. So what's most surprised you about self-publishing of your book? What was the surprise for you? <laughs> um, it's time consuming. There's a huge learning curve. Um, man, there are, there are so many ways to spend your marketing time and your marketing dollar. It's dizzying. I, I was, again, just talking about my, to my wife about this this morning. Like, you know, maybe up until 60 years ago, there was print and radio. It was pretty simple. Then TV came in and now there's a dizzying number of platforms, you know? So there's search and social media and, there's podcasts and blog posts and email and, and um, uh, they're seeking reviews from influencers. There's book tours, there's book signings. It's, it's, it's dizzying. You could write a book and spend the next 40 hours a week for the whole next year marketing your book. So the shocking thing is um, I'm learning to compartmentalize my time because I enjoy writing. And a part of me likes marketing, but I can get sucked into marketing full-time too. So I'm trying to get a little bit of time for marketing, more time for writing. That's been the big surprise. Right. And do you find yourself doing a lot of time blocking? How do you set your time up for writing versus marketing your book? I'm still trying to figure that out, Janine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of that vulnerability. Hey, yeah. when you figure out the golden rule, let me know, because I'm still seeking that one myself. And yeah. I've, I've written, I'm on book number 12. As you know, you're a part yeah. of that project. And, and it's one of those things that I just had to, to do time blocking. And it's like, this is an appointment with me. And there is nothing that's going to change this unless, you know, it, it has to be pretty serious before it'll change what my calendar looks like. And my friends always giggle because they're like, Hey, Janine, when can we see you? And I'm sending them calendar links because it's like, <laughs> I, my life is like you said, when it comes to marketing your book, it is more than a 40 hour a week job. You can let it become all yeah. consuming. Yeah. yeah. So talk to us a little bit about what you see as far as a change, if you started marketing your book today, how would you change things relative to uh, what your first, you know, neophyte, you know, noob, as some people like say, when you first came out with yeah. your book, how would you change the marketing and your systems and what you're using? I think I would learn about all of the platforms, decide which ones would work for me and the kind of book I'm promoting. And I would have been a quote unquote expert at it six months ago and try to have them all sync together because I'm learning on the fly right now. And the book's already out and it's great and it's fun. But I think if I had it to do all over again, I would have picked two or three or four platforms, figure out a way to sync them, figure out the time blocking that you're talking about. Because um, now I'm learning on the fly and I'm realizing if I let it go, it could be 40 hours a week. Um, so I would have been an expert at it before the book came out and had everything synced together. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, one of those things that 
it's not until you're almost knee deep into it that you're like, whoa, wait a minute, this can get out of hand. And by the time you figure that out, <laughs> you're up to your armpits and, and the river is starting to rise. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're making decisions. So I understand how that works. <laughs> That's exactly right. So what has worked best for you when it comes to selling your book? Um, what works best for me so far, you know, marketing is a fun, funny thing because you may remember there's an old saying that's, you know, I know advertising, right. Uh, I know advertising works uh, 50 or 50% 50 of my advertising dollar is wasted. I just wish I knew which 50%. And so, <laughs> it's so true. it is true. And so um, you do a lot of things and it's hard to correlate. Like, is this what's successful? And this is not successful. But my best guess is um, just posting regular content on Facebook snippets of chapters from the book sometimes because I wrote a book full of short stories sometimes I could post a whole chapter on Facebook um, and then a link to where to purchase it that type of thing uh, posting uh, reviews from other readers that type of thing um, I would say Facebook has probably been uh, that and email has probably been my most successful so far but that's just a guess. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, yeah. let me go back and see what's working. I have to yeah. correlate all this stuff. You know, that's why so much of our lives are link hyperlink heavy because yeah. we're constantly trying to figure out where traffic is coming from. So we know we're spending that other 50% of yeah. our advertising dollar, right? right? <laughs> well, so, and our advertising time too. Yeah, time. Oh, oh yes. It, it, it's both investments, right? It's yeah. time and it's money, it, yeah. both. So out of curiosity, what uh, process did you try that was just an epic failure when it came to your book? Well, um, LinkedIn has changed a lot. And I, I heard some people say LinkedIn is a lot like Facebook now. Try on LinkedIn. I think so far LinkedIn has been an epic failure for promoting a book. Now, if I'd written a certain kind of book and if I'd been the kind of person that had been on LinkedIn uh, that was networking and communicating like crazy, I bet it would have been successful for me. But um, I don't think I found the the mystic business person on Facebook yet, or excuse me, on LinkedIn yet. Right, <clears throat> right. That, that makes sense. And yeah. it's one of those fun things that I like to share with people. LinkedIn is where I go when I want to really talk to scholars and business owners, that sort of thing, service industry professionals. But if I'm trying to get people to click on a link. It's almost always Facebook that yeah. is yeah. where I go, but I meet my network on LinkedIn. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah. that's one of the things I like to share. So if I can help any author with that, that's why I'm sharing that part. Um, so what story do you like to tell about yourself that really gets the most laughs from your audience? The book was launched on April 1st, and I thought that was hysterical. It's April Fool's Day. And so much of the book my version of the mystic path is stumbling into things over and over again, walking the path of the fool. Things would happen to me I didn't know were possible. I learned words I didn't know the meaning of. And, um, and I also try to share stories in the book that are very real and human. There's a story I did not share in the book about being a single parent. And I've got a nine-year-old and 11-year-old and I'm going to tuck them into bed one night and we had a black cat named Spokey and I went in my son's bedroom and, you know, in the Seattle area, it doesn't get dark till 10 30 PM in the summertime. I'm trying to tuck my son in around eight 30 or nine. And I see the cat all stretched out, like, you know, in the sun on the pillow. 
and I go to tuck my son in and the cat has died on the pillow. <laughs> it looked oh. like the cat died in full stretch. <laughs> like it was completely stretched out. It's like, oh my God. And you know, they didn't, they don't prepare you for these things in parenting school. <laughs> no, they do not. So that exact moment, my son is walking into the bedroom and he loved that cat. And so I was like, oh my God, well, I had to figure this out on the fly. So <laughs> go dad, go. I know. And both the kids are looking at me like, oh my God, <laughs> the cat died. What do we do now? And so we had our very impromptu. We didn't go to bed. We went outside, dug a hole in the ground and had a little burial ceremony for our cat Smokey and put little trinkets on top of the grave and said sweet things about the cat. And the kids went to bed happy. <laughs> but <laughs> So I, a lot of my book is full of stories like that, where I just say, I'm walking the path of the fool and it's like, oh my God, now what do I do? Mm -hmm. So, right. Yeah. So that's uh, one of the things that uh, my community knows I'm a Heoka. I was struck by lightning when I was nine and nine or 10. I always mess up the year, <laughs> but oh, well, anyway. And so I like to say I'm kind of the court jester, you know, if I'm not falling over my own feet, <laughs> making people laugh on the outside, I'm laughing on the inside over something yeah. that's wholly inappropriate. Right. <laughs> so do not invite me to a funeral because I'll laugh hysterically because something won't get me giggling. And because I feel all the tension around the room of everybody being sad, I'll start laughing. And so that's probably something you've probably done. I just wanted to yeah. share with you that if you're walking the path of the fool, you act inappropriately, not on purpose, but just spontaneity, you know, and it's because you're figuring things out on the fly. And so anyway, it's wonderful, wonderful story. Thank you. Yeah. So tell me, what's the biggest change that you've seen in yourself since you've started marketing your book? I think the thing that we talked about earlier, that sense of overwhelm with marketing, at first it's fun. It's like, oh my, who doesn't want to market their own? I mean, I guess there's that vulnerability issue and there's a little fear, but who doesn't like seeing the reviews start to show up on Amazon and, and, and watching the book climb in the rankings on Amazon and then it climbs some more. It's like kind of encouraging and it's kind of fun. Um, so I think I had to decide, did I want to be a book marketer or did I want to be a writer? And I'm, I'm trying to divide time between the two. So the biggest change has been um, deciding that I wanted to be a writer more than a marketer. Right. And that's, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. That lets you know, I, there's many authors out there who wrote one book and they are now book marketers. And that's why you explained it perfectly for yeah. our listeners on why that is. And then there are people who are crazy, like, you and I are like, no, I got to write the next book. Like yeah. I can't help it. I, sometimes I'm not even done with the one book and the next book's like crowding into my space, you know? And it's one of those things where you're like, Oh, you know, cause you know what you're going to have to <laughs> I know do. The, oh. <laughs> you know what you're going to have to do now. Right. Cause now it's like, Oh my gosh, now I have to do this launch. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's not necessarily, you were saying it's not necessarily rinse and repeat because things are changing as you're writing the book, the yes. platforms aren't staying the same. Right. So no offense, but get a little frustrated someday. Yes. Yeah. And I just have to go for a long walk. Okay. Yeah. Back to you because you've got some epic stuff that you're doing. So talk to us about those top five tips that you would give authors about selling their books from what you've learned in your own life path. Oh, yay. That's a fun one. Um, yes, it is. So the very first thing is I would say, if you feel compelled to write, just write. And 
the two things I'm going to offer right out of the gate are complete opposites of each other. One is right from your heart, right from your soul, right from your gut. Don't, don't give a worry in the world about whether the book's going to sell or how it's going to be received or if it's weird. But now that it's done, find your audience. And so that is, a, that is now we got to put the marketing hat on. So first, I'm going to say, channel the book as clearly and cleanly and with as little uh, resistance as possible. Two would be find your audience. Three, uh, find a way to market your book daily or maybe twice weekly, but don't let it overwhelm you. Uh, that would be the next thing. Don't let marketing overwhelm you. Um, give yourself time to write. And then um, somebody gave me some advice and said, there's so many ways to market now. It would be, it, it might be simpler to pick one or two that fit you best and be really good at that. Like maybe podcasting. Maybe you're really verbal. Maybe you like to have a conversation. Maybe you're familiar with the technology. Uh, but if you don't like podcasting, you don't like putting your face and your voice out there, pick a different one, but get really good at it. And uh, I think that's the other thing I'm figuring out is I'm trying to refine the, the maybe two or three things that I like best. Some people might want to do blogs and um, you know email newsletter type of things. So uh, I mean, summary, write write what's write what's true for you uh find your audience and um and find a way to market that doesn't overwhelm you i think that would be my summary right and i love what you say about find the platforms and the way that works for you because i'm going to be very honest with you i haven't shared this yet but i have interviewed over 28 authors and not a single one of you has given the same advice <laughs> when it came to marketing their book yeah. I am not lying. As a scientist, I'm like, by the time I hit 10 to 11 authors, I'm going to start hearing a pattern. I'm going to start. No, nothing could be further from the truth. I'm at author number 28 and I still haven't heard the same thing twice. Now there's, you guys will glance next to each other on certain things or certain things that are commonalities, but as far as how to's you guys are giving, so this book's going to be great when we're done. And thank you so much yeah. for being a part of that because when I ask you guys for your top tips on how to market a book, just realize I don't think anybody has the golden key. Yeah. I don't think anybody has the one recipe and thank goodness, because guess what? Authors were a diverse bunch. <laughs> I can't wait to read your book and see all these different ideas. Actually, that's kind of exciting to me. It is. It's, it's wonderful. So, but your tip on do what fits your personality, do what yeah. fits your comfort zone to start off with, right? Because yeah. you're going to have to grow and expand if you're going to market your book, but start with what your comfort zone is. Start with what you're really good at and then move from there, expand from there. So um, next question for you is, what's the one thing that you most misunderstood about becoming an author? <laughs> This sounds like a simple one, but that editing takes a lot of time. And I, yes, yes it, it does. does. <laughs> and I have so much compassion for editors. Like, that's a hard job. I wrote a book with 119 short stories. And I, while there, there is some chronology and they all sort of link together, I wrote them to try and each one stand alone. I, the idea I was hoping somebody could just open to the middle of the book and read a story or two. And because I like reading books like that when I go to bed at night. And um, so I thought, and I'm not a terrible writer. I'm a new writer, but I'm not a bad writer. 
this book's going to be easy to edit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I, I, I try just again. Like, Thank you for playing. <laughs> yeah, try to imagine writing a 500 page fictional novel with full of characters and setting and trying to imagine the amount of editing that might take place. And, you know, do you want to move chapter 42 over to 21? And, and so I have so much compassion for editors uh, and all authors out there. Beware. Editing takes time. And, and it's all good feedback. And so, you know, you send your manuscript off, the editor edits it, it comes back to you, you wade through all the changes, some of them are really easy, some of them are more challenging, you send it back again, and it comes back again. And so uh, I, I completely underestimated the amount of time it takes to edit a book. Right. Yep. If you've never done it before. Yep. So that is one of the biggest <laughs> surprises. And, yeah. uh, and then for you, what's the primary thing that's been your biggest reward now that your book is out now, now that you're an author? Yeah. Um, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of completion. Um, you know, I had the same experience as you, as I'm writing the book, I, I literally right now, Janine, I'm working on three or four other books that are half done. And it's frustrating to me because I'm marketing the first book, which is fun. And I want to give it the attention it deserves. But at the same time, I'm excited about the other books. But um, in the process of writing the book, I learned more. And, and the process, what it feels like to me, through the mystic path is one of nonstop integration. So if there's almost infinite number of ingredients to the soup, another ingredient keeps getting added to my soup over and over again. And writing the book makes it real. It makes it livable. It makes it integrated. And so um, it's a way of taking the equivalent of looking at your desk and, you know, piles and piles of notes and condensing it all. Like, I'm going to write this book. And, uh, and the second thing that I hadn't really gleaned from it um, the confidence I have going forward to write a second, third, or fourth book. Um, that's the biggest reward, I think, to completing the first book. I, I'd have to agree with you. It, it doesn't necessarily get easier. I think you're kind of alluding a little. It doesn't get easier, but you have confidence now right. in just how much you don't know. <laughs> uh, that's my favorite saying. You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then you become an author and you go, oh my gosh. <laughs> but I encourage people to become authors. I encourage people to tell their stories because we don't, uh, this comes to you as a, as a scholar, as somebody who used to go to primary resources and primary documents. The thing with blogging and all the digital media is the fact that we're losing journals. Like people aren't journaling the way they used to. And so by writing books, you're helping add to history. You're right. a primary, you're a primary viewer, whatever your story is, it's going to be valuable to historians later on. Just, yeah. just look at COVID. They were encouraging everybody to journal, journal your story, journal what happened to you, because the kids 20 years from now are going to be studying that point of history. And they will love to hear what was going on with Mary Smith or John Doe or whoever. Yeah. Right. So anyhow, well, Joel, I have thoroughly enjoyed our time together today. Tell us how we can get in touch with you. Uh, website is John David Latta, L-A-T-T-A, johndavidlatta.com. And the book is The Synchronicity of Love, Stories That Heal, Transform, and Awaken. And thank you so much for helping me. I don't know why I called you Joel, 
but your name is John. So yeah. for those of you, <laughs> I love it when I do that. It makes me laugh every well, time. You said your life is crazy, yeah. so I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to say to folks, thanks so much for listening to the show. Definitely check out John and his book. And definitely I'd sign up for his newsletter because if you're wanting to walk a path of transformation, whether you use Joseph Campbell as kind of that, you know, the hero's journey, or you are thinking of the Dalai Lama or that sort of thing, all these teachers are sharing with us the same thing, whether it's the power of now or the law of attraction. It's that to transform yourself requires quite a bit of individualized work and nothing is better than to read what other people are getting. Right, John? <laughs> That's exactly right. They transform me. I love first-person stories from other people. And so that's why I try to write my book in the same way. Exactly. Because yeah. it is. it gives you kind of like mile markers. It kind of lets yeah. you know, oh, I'm not insane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe that's just my concern. I, don't know. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Anyhow, if you are an author or you know of an author that you would like for us to spotlight, please visit our website, authorpodcasting.com, where you will find the 99 Author Project listed. We talk to all authors from all walks of life as we build our uh, book number 12, which is advice from authors to authors that will be published in 2023. And this is Janine Boland signing off with you today and all of us here at The Eight Gates that produces The Janine Boland Show. We wish you a wonderful week and encourage you to get your message, your story, or your knowledge out into the world and make it a better place, just like these authors are doing for the newer authors that are coming along behind them. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep sharing what you know with others. Keep shining that light that is you. And don't forget to go out today and just do something for yourself that is fun. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Janine Boland Show. Be sure to subscribe to our show notes by going to the JanineBolinShow.com where you'll find additional resources as well as the opportunity to sign up to receive our program in your email each week. Be sure to visit our sponsor at the8gates.com.